but I'll recall it's a softer landing. It's got something in it. I don't know if it You've got to be careful with them cans because they make a noise on the mic. Um, hello! <laughs> Welcome! Okay, I got priorities. Welcome to Film Splurge, The Return. Hello. <laughs> We're calling it The Return, is that the subtitle? I didn't know we had subtitles. I know it's been a while, wasn't it? I thought we just numbered them. The Return of the King, which we won't be reviewing today. Plural. Is it Return of the Kings? Well, no, we are. I mean, there's more we than one kings. of us making yeah. of Orient Tart. No, I thought you were talking about the Lord of the Rings one. We should review that one today. <laughs> we won't be... <laughs> today we'll be reviewing the Lord of the Rings trilogy. No, just for last film. Keeping ourselves relevant. <laughs> right. I it was good, but it wasn't as good as the Two Towers. Two Towers is... The crowning glory of the Lord of the Rings. I'm the apex. Sure the I'm not allowed. Like, oh, The Fellowship's the best movie. It's not got Helm's Deep. It's not the best movie. It's not got Ents tearing shit up. Exactly. Ents and Helm's Deep. Mm-hmm. I know. It had that bit Three's where... Three's got uh, too much. It's too much stuff happening. about nine different endings. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's ended. Not quite yet. Let's go to fucking Mordor and see what's going on. <laughs> Just had a big war. Fucking Mordor again. They removed the scouring of the Shire, which I do respect, because that would have been like... And then there's another ending. Hooray. Oh, oh, we got back to the Shire, and then they fought. Oh, no, but like it is the real... Uh, the severed heads of hobbits on sticks. It is the, uh, the, real, the real soul of the... Uh, the real soul of the, uh, the Tolkien's journey, this world building. And the first film did have Samwise in that field where he's like... One more step, and it's the furthest I've ever been. And then he takes another step, and one more step, and it's the furthest I've ever been. It's doing that the whole way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Shut up, Sam. I'm glad they cut that out of the film. Fellowship has the most heart, and Two Towers ups the spectacle. Fellowship's got the most heart, I think. But here's the link Gilda Toro didn't direct that film, neither no. did he direct The, the Hobbit. Hobbit. Hey, but what yeah. he did direct was The Shape of Water. The uh, Academy Award-winning film of yesteryear. What a smooth segue. Yesteryear. <laughs> 2018. Yeah, it won Best Picture. Or was it Best Director? I think best it was Picture. Best, was it Best Picture? I, I think so, yeah. yeah it was well, the best of something. I didn't see all the like films last year, but I would say greatly deserved, because I think... I'm not going to spoil the review here by saying I enjoyed it. I greatly enjoyed this film. We've ruined the review. Yeah, what, what did you think, Alex? Nothing else what to did say. You, what did you think of it? I enjoyed it, but not as much as some people. Ooh. Ooh. I'm gonna but more than others. In the works. Uh, I guess. People that didn't see it, I don't think they enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. Although maybe I should pretend to hate it just so there's balance. Yeah, yeah. I'll be the middle ground. <laughs> I will seek compromise from both sides. And in the so, middle, we um, find justice. So, first of all, Shape of Water. Um, I suppose, bit of synopsis. It doesn't actually have a shape, which I think is quite clever. It is an, it's a liquid which has no inherent shape. I think this may have been intentional in the naming of the movie. Go throw that out there. Um, because <laughs> And it seems to come from that poem at the end, but then there doesn't seem to be any kind of reference the for the poem. Yeah, he may have just made that poem up. <laughs> it's like you look at it and go, "That's a poem. That must have been somebody very important." So, I think for the uh, for the listeners at home, we better um, set up the general general sort of gist and conceit of the uh, of the film. The gist and the conceit. I don't know if I can do both. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> give you the gist. Or the so, what was it? It's it's nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties Cold War America. Yeah, it's set in Baltimore, I believe. Specifically, it's about a woman who is a hearing mute who is yeah mute no <laughs> <laughs> uh, she can she can hear she can yeah, hear but she, she can can't hear. talk yeah and yeah. she's found as a baby with marks on her neck mm. mysterious thing. I read the wikipedia plots did you that's why it doesn't sound like you get this from the film <laughs> she's found as an infant yeah, with marks upon her neck uh, and she works at a secret government facility underground somewhere. Mm. It's American Cold War, yeah. big science, spooky project thing. Uh, she works there as a janitor with her friend, played by Octavia Butler, who translates for her in all of her interactions. Whose character's name is Delilah. De- is that true? That's true. Is it so? 
Don't look around. Yeah, big thing gets made of that, but we'll get onto that. <laughs> we'll get onto the biblical stuff. We'll get the things that <laughs> yeah. happened, then the Bible. Yeah, but they're, they're uh, working in this underground. Say she's a cleaner. Uh, she lives above a cinema uh, in an apartment, and her the person in the apartment nearby is a neighbour, Giles. neighbour. Giles. Oh, I forgot what his name was. Yeah. Giles, uh, who is just a good close, Giles, close companion, and they get on with each other. They get on with and each other. And he works in advertising and paint. He does like Norman Rockwell esque advertising pictures. Uh, he's also gay. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. But not openly gay because it's the past where you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Uh, she works at the facility. We'll get onto this later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just leave that as a random aside. Uh, it's like, yeah. very important to the theme. Yeah, if if it wasn't relevant, it'd have been just a very strange thing. <laughs> just want to get it out there. Just want to. Oh, this doesn't come up later. But I just thought you uh, should. Uh, just like Dumbledore's game. I just thought I mentioned. Uh, they work at the facility. Uh, they bring in as one of their projects. They've. Michael Shannon's character, who's like the head of the facility or this particular project, they've captured a fishman who is the titular shape of water. It's fishman shaped. Uh, they bring him in. They've caught him in the Amazonian jungle. They keep him in the facility. Her and the fishman form a bond. They eventually break him out. She keeps him at home, and then in the end, they manage to get him into the canal. <laughs> and, and, then, and then he swims out to sea and oh, I assume that. makes friends with No, that was mermaid. um that was free willy Alex. <laughs> go, go, it's like Harry and the Hendersons. Go, I don't want you anymore. Uh and Michael Shannon's hunting them down yeah. and then they get away just in time. The end. But the uh the general thing there is you got this yeah, you know, it's the cold walk and sea, it's got the period feel. And so spies. Going off of things like Pan's Labyrinth, I thought it was slightly less of a magical realist thing. It was more it felt more grounded like it was people going about their yeah. going about their jobs into this facility, which was very interesting looking up the sort of felt very influenced by uh, video games actually. It looked very Bioshock. Oh I yeah, know, yeah. Um, Gilda Toro is very into his games and he was he's doing that thing with Hideo Kojima, isn't he, with the baby. Death but, Stranding. Um, yeah, that's We're all very excited. That's its own kettle of fish. Um, <laughs> does it explain <laughs> what yeah, the facility does outside of preserving fishmen? Which that general, is something that's no, kept ambiguous. No, it's a, well, they just did they build this facility just in case yeah. they found a fishman? It's a backdrop. They sort of drift really? in and out, but it's not quite. It's not the same as Pan's Lab in having that quite strong supernatural element. Mm. You've obviously got the um, the Amazonian fish god in there, but. Yeah. <laughs> It's only God to yeah. them. He's but they seem to, to just they seem to just turn up, <laughs> and people don't seem quite as Freaked shocked out by, by it as you'd have which makes you no. wonder what's in the other chambers. But I think it's trying. I think it's also trying to make it less of it because I think the part of the part of this film, what it's trying to do, is go you know, the creature from the deep lagoon and all of that, and trying mm. to take Gilmore takes the side of the monster, which is interesting, and he sympathizes sympathizes with what the monster what the monster thinks and tries to. I try to get their point of view, and so they're not really the monster. The monster is society. Fact, um, uh. Yeah, yeah. So Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon specifically, because he's he quite, he's quite scary, isn't he? I like him. He's um, he's good, um, good at being scary in films. Yeah, I I read in one of the reviews I read they thought he was like too villainous. That he becomes a kind of a caricature. Mm. But I think some people mm. actually are that villainous. Like, <laughs> <laughs> some people just are absolute bastards. Yes. Yeah. Especially in like the CIA in the 1960s. Yeah. So yeah. There, was, yeah. there was, you know, there's some dodgy, dodgy stuff going on. I mean, he probably killed a lot of natives on that mission. Just needlessly. Yeah, it's quite so like either he'd do that. But so he's all very much about the American way, isn't he? And all yeah, way. it's like he's juxtaposed against. So there's sort of a. The thing it sets up is a coalition of outsiders or mm. people that are different and don't fit within the sort of hegemonic ideas of 1950s America, which Michael Shannon represents. So it's the mute woman and her 
posited gay friend and there's a Soviet spy as well who decides to side with Spoilers, by the way. The creature, spoilers, yeah, spoilers. We're, we're way into this. <laughs> and the creature itself, so it's yeah. it's about a coalition of people that have been deemed freaks and outsiders by society, <laughs> finding each other and helping each other and uh, escaping to sea, eventually. Well, that's the, uh, that's the real sort of uh, emotional core of it, whereas Michael Shannon's, like, uh, represented the sort of the puritanical, the, man. the Christian, yeah. uh, evangelist sort of, you know, conservative man, sort of Richard Nixon voting type. Mm. Uh, sort of, this is the way America is, this is the American dream. He lives in his, he's got his... Um, White suburban... Yeah. Two up, two down. Yeah, and he's got his, 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 he's got his Cadillac, which he associates he strongly with um, his, wife's, um, his wife's boob. Because she's like, this is a Cadillac, and then he buys a Cadillac, strangely enough. So uh, that's going on, because that's the metaphor <laughs> about the uh, it's a metaphor about the American dream. Basically, it's all just a bit, bit infantile, bit perverse, and there's always something Freudian going on. So he gets his um, gets his big Cadillac, but he's living in that proper suburban sort of American dream sort yeah, of environment. But, mm. but it turns out he's a horrible, horrible man, <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of people in the suburbs. Yeah, it's kind of this. Um... Because because it's at the time of the Cold War as well, when obviously that that was between um, the Soviet Union and it, the West and the American kind of free enterprise dream, it suggests that there's this third way of existing, that it's this kind of germ of, of resistance to both of those ideologies. Um, that seems to be what the, the fish mm, man... There's like an outside... Oh, it, does, it frames the Soviet spy as a good guy. He is... Yeah. Ultimately, somebody the... sides with the the fish man. I don't know what his actual. Did they give him a name in the movie? Doctor Hofstadter. I mean the fish man. Oh, the fish man. <laughs> oh, um. So, yeah, today I I don't think the creature. Yeah, the no, thing. I didn't hear his name. Because he he's given orders to kill the creature because the Americans' plan is to use it as a leg up in the space race in some sort of way that's not yeah, really delved into <clears throat> send him into space. Yeah, it's because he can breathe um, underwater and <clears throat> on land. So he's got two sets of lungs, effectively. That's why they think that'd be interesting oh, if I he could, like, breathe yeah. in, could he breathe in space. Unlikely. But they're both happy to destroy him, aren't they? Yes. Mm. In order so the other side doesn't Yeah, get that that's answer. it. But um, both old, the powers uh, are the bad. What's people. his name, Doctor... Hofstadter, I think. Dr. Hofstadter, yeah, it sounds right. <laughs> Played by Michael Schulbarge or something like that. He's very good. He's very good actor. He's in um, Boardwalk Empire and he's in A Serious Man. Um, most famously, he's got a role in Men in Black 3. So, uh, you know, <laughs> very good actor. Uh, I didn't see that one. But, um, Has that got Michael Shannon in it? Does he play young Tommy Lee Jones? Is that Michael Shannon? No. Is it somebody else? Someone other than Aww. him. Um, <laughs> but I think he. what you get is the outsider has been on the side of sort of uh, uh, love and humanity and been out been outside of convention because what is it? He's on the side of the Soviet spy. In the end, he says, I'm like, I came as a scientist. I came to learn. And this is a beautiful creature we need to preserve and you know, better humanity with. Mm. Um and sort of uh, looking outside of that. But you can see on both sides of the Cold War, you've got, you know, they're both, you've got the strong sort of, just the violent, destructive impulse and this state building, this fear of the other and this spitefulness. And then you get some actual, you know, genuine, genuine affection in the middle, which makes the film actually more moving, especially when it's seen against the sort of, you know, Michael Shannon is the big horrible, heteronormative, Boo. Uh, boo. Bloke, <laughs> I suppose. This, this podcast is so yeah. woke. That's it. I can't handle it. He doesn't He doesn't even shave with Gillette, this man. That's how, <laughs> that's how bad he is. No, grew a beard. But, you know, he's, got, he's going against this, showing, showing how the society does cast cast people off. It's not the greatest the greatest thing, because he sees himself as the indestructible American hero. He gets yeah. his fingers bitten off by the creature yeah. at one point. And then he comes back. Well, before that, he comes back with his fingers reattached mm. and basically saying, look, mm. you, the American way of life's better. Yeah, I'm nice. basically indestructible. Um, 
Like and then and they say I can reattach my fingers. Turns out the scientist's undercut by the fact they don't do it very well, uh, and, and his fingers start. fall off. Oh, and turns out if he'd made friends with the fish creature, uh, they could have just reattached him because he has healing magical powers. So, Which yeah. that was the Great most story. magical element of it because you can mm. sort of go with as a fish person that lives in the Amazon. It's like a lot less mm. monster. Like what if a dinosaur got stuck in a lake? But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the healing thing was sort of probably the most magical element mm. of it and kind of thrown in. Which being a ma- magical... hair grow back. Being a magical realist film, I think it's fair, but it has like, some magical elements in it. This is magical. Yeah. I, feel, I thought it was interesting how he, the Fishman represents a kind of return to an older spirituality, mm. a kind of pre-Christian spirituality, because he's worshipped as a god. Mm. Um, and so it's not, it's not necessarily new it's just this kind of spirituality that is lacking in both capitalism and Soviet Russia because um, you can see that even in the arts that Giles is creating is, mm. is advertising there seems to be a, a lack yeah. of um, art that has any real feeling mm. or lack of spirituality in the film until he um until he returns the fish man. <laughs> he does some sketches of the fish man as well. Yeah. But like, just, everyone, just, everyone just, yeah, calls for the... Showing off his art. Look, do good pictures. Look at his art. <laughs> <laughs> Every, everyone falls for the fish man in the end. Um. <laughs> That's <laughs> easier than ever. Did he fall for him? Oh, barely, barely. <laughs> <laughs> he, do, he does eat a cat's head, but... It's like that's all that is forgiven. It's like you just go, it's like it is a wild creature. We found him, it's the Croydon cat killer. It turns out that Giles Giles does have a lot of cats in his house as well. So uh, it's not to be worried about. But I think in terms of the magic the other magical bit is the um when they what what could have been quite a cheesy bit where they have sort of the romance where they leave the tap on and then all the bathroom. If you know runs. what I mean. Oh, it's not a euphemism, they do leave a tap on and then and then have sex. Yeah, um, and, then, <laughs> and then afterwards she's describing through sign language to Octavia Butler's character how the penis works. I think there's, I think there's an actual dialogue bit where they're trying to she's like, Yo, I've seen his crotch, there was nothing there. She's like, Oh no, it comes out. Actually, you 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 refuse to be moved by this film. I didn't refuse to be. I was just I was very focused on the fish stick. You're, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not in a good way. And not mutually. Apparently it's created a uh, an industry now, a fish dildo industry. Has oh, it? I bet. Yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> that's really retracts. I think people who are buying it's like those um, those flick out lightsabers you could get as a kid. <laughs> if you're if you're buying fish dildos, I don't think you really got the core message of what the film's about. <laughs> I think that was the the clear yes. core message. No, there's a more... Thumbs up. <laughs> there's a more understated uh, beauty to what's going on. <laughs> As they leave the tap... Because it has that magical risk. It's a really impossible thing. You leave the tap on the room and fills it yeah. water. It transforms. Because it could have easily been a... Um, I think like it's an Inspector Clouseau bit once he leaves the tap on. <laughs> comes back and opens the door and the water comes <laughs> out. Like, is it, but in this, it works because it's that... Uh, transcending reality, magical realism does like, very well. That overcoming, uh, it, it's 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 re- reflecting the emotional state and that bit that's beyond the uh, the fixed world. And I think that's what this film explores very well because you see the harsh realities, that the limits of the world, and you've got the um, the homophobic pie salesman as well, <laughs> who um, just shows you how, um, how, how, people, like how people have to be bound bound and secretive, <laughs> can't show. Show who they truly are, and then you get the salation from people actually being able to, you know, express themselves. People and fish, uh, people, <laughs> fish are people too. The case is. I mean, did you think the were you were you intrigued by the pies? <laughs> <laughs> uh, they were sort of. They were there's it's the way it's shot. Like the primary colours it uses are greens it's mm. a very green movie which makes everything mm. feel very strange and unsettling and a bit like a 90s heavy metal music mm. video mm. where everything it's it's the whole thing of 
uh, it's common suburbia, it's Americana, but it's grotesque underneath, and that's how they shoot the... The diner is done as, look, it's, you know, it's... Uh, it's cheesecake, it's apple pie, it's humble American food, but it's shot in this sort of grotesque way, which is meant to show the the underlying horrors of American society. I like that. I like that in the every the everyday you get the the more alien and it's just sort of uh, colours strange yeah. enough because the slimy everything's a bit slick. The yeah. pie, the pie is off moist, <laughs> but it's like these grotesquely <laughs> large portions mm. as well. It, it's done. <clears throat> But it's also that that simmering sort of. You've got like the fake, the fake smile on his face at the pie shop. Yeah, it's and like then you see how he, he turns when he get. First of all, he makes Charles makes a pass at him, and then he just sort of turns nasty that look, and then and then you get the um, the black couple walking in, and then he's sort of saying you can't come in here, and you get the segregation and the racism, um, the racism element shown as well, and that that green green pie shows that the horror. The horror is actually in the American dream, you know, more than apple pie and all that. What yeah. if the pie is really bad? <laughs> and it tastes like shit. And he does say that at one point because his catchphrase, the, the pie man who works in the shop, is like, you come back now. And then Giles is like, he doesn't really mean that, does he? And it's that's uh, obviously true. Giles it's, believed the pie man. Well, it's just... He wanted because, to believe the pie man. Because he says it when he like kicks mm. out the African-Americans from the shop as well. So mm. it's clearly like a meaningless right, phrase. Yeah. But it's that just it all sim- symbolizes, so yeah, the nothingness of a, the heart of that kind of. It's got there's yeah, it's it's very layered in the way that it deals with. It's crazy. The idea of a jelly in your apple pie. <laughs> what pie? There weren't apples in that pie. There weren't apples. In <laughs> what that. pie has got a jelly center? This pie, pork pies. It's not center. No, it's a sort of no peripheral glue. To no, sorry. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it's yeah. The whole the, the thing that it does really, really well is it. Every particular oppression or exclusion or alienation that it looks at, it always connects it to other ones. It's never just one going. This is the problem. It's mm-hmm. always it's again like a sort of coalition of mm-hmm. people that have been excluded in different ways. So every character is alienated in some way from whatever the hegemonic mm-hmm. ideal is that Michael Shannon's character represents the the two point five children mm-hmm. and a wife in a house in white suburbia and the you know, the American ideal and. It's not just these people are excluded in particular, it's all of these people are excluded and they can find mm. solace with each other. Like, even Octavia Butler's character, she's got the fucking dipshit husband who gives up where the fish man is at the end, who's just a pain in the ass, and she's been mm. working constantly her whole life and also when she gets home, because she's a woman, she's expected to cook and clean for this dick of a character. So it's everybody's got these multiple layers to them, like Shrek. <laughs> yeah, like a Shrek. Or an onion. But then I, f- I felt like that was quite telling, that moment where her husband <clears throat> gives mm. him up to Michael Shannon because it was just a very explicit example of what life would have been like for him. Like, he's mm. clearly in a position of powerlessness at, 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 in that scene. So mm. it's, yeah, it's just... I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think badly of him for doing it. I no, it's more of a he was take on really me. Like him, I was I like because she remained strong and refused to say, and he's yeah. just there going, you know, where's my dinner and shit like that, and you know, yeah. always just demanding of her, and she's going, yeah, I've been breaking my fucking back catering for you for so many bloody years. It's clearly just a loveless marriage. <laughs> but she can't quite remember why she actually married him in the first in place, fairness. and then he betrays the fish man. Yeah, <laughs> he's just a dick. In fairness like, to oh, my dinner. The, he has seen like some secret secret intelligent agent, big white boy, privileged man who can't who he can touch if he wanted to, tear off his own fingers while shouting like Old Testament Bible quotes <laughs> and then threaten him. So like I think he was in a position where he was quite uh, probably quite but he's strong. I think the, the interesting thing is Michael Shannon in like uh sort of in an older science fiction film where you just have a traditional monster should just be someone in a crap rubber suit wandering around. Would be the hero character and what this subverts. Yeah. 
is um, you know, turning him into the absolute villain and turning him into the monster because mm. he's trying to destroy this thing he doesn't understand. And he's been you know, incredibly close-minded, I must say. <laughs> it's Michael Shannon in this. <laughs> and just going after going after revenge. Um, going back to the pie, just to finish the metaphor... The essential um, theme of the review. What do you think of the pie? It has <laughs> layers. Yeah, yeah, but the the pie, the pie's a weird green, right? Science it is fiction. It's a gross looking pie. It's like key lime Science pie, fiction, so sort of slimy green. Mm. And then you see the fish man. It's quite aesthetically pleasing in a lot of ways to some people. <laughs> but he's not the weird <laughs> um, glowing flubber green. No, yeah. uh, he's natural. Yeah, he's natural. He's natural. He's natural. He's a natural green. <laughs> um, but he's not. He's not got the monstrous, weird science fiction look. Really, he's quite a naturalistic. Mm. Yeah. Um, and um, and uh, and it's the the pie. That's the, the American way in the uh, that the whole thing that Michael Shannon's holding up, and that whole thing that makes him think he's the good the American, the good way, guy, yeah. is uh, subverted because it's not the right way of doing things. And uh, I think the message yeah. is the Soviet Union had it right, isn't that right? KGB. <laughs> KGB. KGB. I mean, I was chanting that when... Uh, although he was going... He was a rogue KGB agent. Mm. Yeah. Which was interesting. He rejected the all Soviet authorities. Either. No, but I think what he's, he, he represents something interesting as well. Being the, the KGB agent, he does end up supporting them because he supports, you know, the real the real ideas ideals of science and humanity. Uh, if you want to give it like a lefty reading, you could say he's the the genuine ge- genuine revolution. So what, mm. what this film has is a strong Trotskyist third wave position. <laughs> uh, we, we must always remember, as Lenin once said, "There's no profit in last week's fear." Yes, that is. <laughs> I really <laughs> hope he said that. I really hope that's true because he does I say that. I, I think Ooh, he's made that's up very that shit. But no, a man who can quote Lenin or even mm. make up what sound like good Lenin proverbs is clearly like you got a man who has the yeah. authentic, authentic revolutionary zeal and knows what's what's the right for humanity, which is fish hedonism. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wondered what you thought about what you think the the film is saying about how we should treat difference because I, I read an, another review of it where I was criticising it for saying for taking a kind of humanist perspective of saying actually we're all universally the same underneath like kind of ignoring ignoring difference and saying um you know regardless of of how you look on the outside everybody's the same um and whether you thought that was true or whether you think because at the end eliza he's not reconciled to our world eliza's becomes part of his world mm. um, so that to me seems more like she's loving him for his difference mm. um, rather than kind of erasing difference and saying you know difference doesn't exist <laughs> just dressing up in a suit <laughs> yeah yeah no it's their it's their differences and it's it's that thing with uh, uh, a, a real sense of love being that that loving of the difference and that loving of the um, of the imperfections because he has the you know, retractable penis. He has the, re- the retractable. You're obsessed, <laughs> obsessed. Obsessed. I mean, what she really loves is fish dildos. Like, <laughs> how many sticks. of those fish dildos? Do you like sent fish to, sticks in your mouth. How many of how many of those fish dildos were sent to Stanley Bridge? I wonder. <laughs> like, probably. Also, you can't find that data. <laughs> but it's, it's that. Yeah, it's that, it's that imperfection and that thing that's like her her muteness, her cuts. At the end, they become the gills, and they become they make a they yeah. they sort of they complete be- each other in that platonic sort of way as well. They sort of um, she becomes more like him rather than yeah. So they they love each, they love each other for the fact of a different, and dis- not only despite the fact of a difference, but they actually love the for mm. difference, and it's what makes them uh, compatible and special together. So what like Shrek two? <laughs> That's the point of Shrek too. That's exactly the Can point. Can you remember? Where they become ogres. Yeah. Oh yeah. Be- I mean, Shrek one. She Doesn't becomes an yeah. ogre, yeah. and Shrek two, he becomes a human, which is, who is beautiful, uh, and then the true form he should take for true love is as an ogre, and so, the king becomes yeah. a frog again, and the, and the queen still loves him. The dragon. Yeah, they. Yeah, <laughs> we do get to see. 
Right, yeah, so that you do have to confront that <laughs> notion when you see the dragon donkey babies. I think uh, they fucked. Yeah, if, well, if, okay. I think the parallel, a simpler parallel, would have been Shrek One. To be honest, <laughs> I, I saw Shrek Two uh, more recently. Right. I saw it the day after I watched Shrek One. <laughs> <laughs> it was Christmas. Yeah. I was celebrating. Watch Shrek. It is great. Shrek 2, not as good as I remember it. Shrek 1, better than I remember it. So it was a mixed bag, I'll be honest. Yeah. Next show films large. No, so we've got that, we've got that in the pipeline. Yeah. Shrek 1 is just... I loved it. I was absolutely joyous. 90 minutes of solid gold. With a very similar message to The Shape of Water. Yeah, but the, I think the message... I think I was more moved by The Shape of Water Lord, than I was by the Shrek films. Lord Farquaad um, is Michael Shannon. They've even got similar chins. So you basically just remade Shrek. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. Shrek. <laughs> you just said Gilda Toro's remade Shrek. You peel back all of the layers and it's Shrek. <laughs> That's the nugget in the centre, the, the heart. <laughs> centre of the swamp. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, uh, the, uh, I like that boulder. The key that is a nice boulder. <laughs> <laughs> the key message of the film, human beings and fish can go Human beings and fish. It's about time. It's George Fish once said. It teaches us that we can be one. It doesn't explain where the fish man came from or why he has a penis. But it's... He could be kind of either gender. So I think Guillermo del Toro it's, it's makes, a fish, it, makes that like, point. Because yeah. they can gender swap, I think. Yeah, I've seen I've seen some fish. Um, seen some fish change sex in the past. Yeah. Uh, not not in, on, on, on documentaries. It's on the job. No, this is on. Uh, What's happening? No, I've never seen. Uh, what are you putting into the water? I tell you what, many many shore fish are just indistinguishable for each other. Gender doesn't seem to matter Ooh. until they get territorial and start eating each other. That's when they're... <laughs> you need to celebrate the difference of the nearly identical fish. Celebrate them as individuals. Or just as a school of fish. No, but I don't, I don't actually, think this though. was a campaign for a, a world without sexual sexual difference or uh, animal... I don't think it was even... Pro, <laughs> I don't think it was pro-bestiality either, this film. I think it was... Uh, I have something more profound to say about... Um, about human nature it and, the, and the other very on that she is very horny all the time and it's sort of it's going from that yeah she masturbates frequently yeah no she they does show her routine is involving a daily masturbation and she's session. got a certain yeah. uh, egg egg scene to get her going yeah the eggs boil um, while she masturbates and then symbolically the boiling water is yeah. there I can't believe you're the one lowering, lowering the tone so much today Alex <laughs> coming to <laughs> culmination well I found it very moving <laughs> <laughs> Eggs are a repeated visual reference, and I think it might be because of Roe and Roe Fish Roe. I was going with uh, "History of the Eye" by George Bataille. Bataille, do you know the music video for "Venus as a Boy" by Bjork, where she's fucking about with eggs for the whole time? No, but I can imagine it. She's fucking about with eggs because that's her favourite book is "The History of the Eye" by George Bataille, which was banned in France when it was released because it was too sexually explicit. But a recurring thing in that is sex eggs, oh. basically. Sex education. Egg education. education. Egg. Egg. <laughs> he said egg. Uh, so I think that might have been a reference to that. I don't know. I may so, be reading too much hmm. into it, but eggs were a repeated visual I just motif. How risky to boil an egg while you're in the bath. She knows exactly how long it takes yeah, to, to do everything. 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 <laughs> Everything. Everything. It's like, this is how long I need to boil an egg and fill all my needs. <laughs> Mainly think... my need for eggs. <laughs> Do you think they might actually die at the end? Or, and, I think so. And it's got that... Because um, it's the magical realist thing again. It goes, it goes beyond... Um, it's going beyond the reality. And sometimes it's like... Yeah. It's, the, it's an impossible relationship made possible as well and I think that's mm. something that resonates and there's always there's always this te- you know there's always films where you're like oh we're, you know in um, Casablanca spoilers that he has to <laughs> sort of leave her at the end to go off on her own way but there's always that sadness but they never uh, stayed together and managed to have that true true love never seems to survive in a lot of these films mm. um, 
I'll have a yeah. more relevant point to make, but I'll, uh, it'll come back. <laughs> yeah, the point... But maybe death is the only way that it is yeah. possible. Uh, but it's also... Oh, that's what I was thinking of. The, um, you know, the Hunchback and Notre Dame. Have you ever seen the old... Um, Doctor Dan film. The original, no, because there's the whole I've thing with Disney there's one, Esmeralda, and there's 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 like um, yeah, you know, it's not like they're actually as explicitly in love as the uh, as this film. It does actually yeah. explain go into details how it all works. It does. Um, Which, but there's always a sadness. But does. old the poor old um, what's his name? Has he got a name? The Quasimodo. 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 He never gets um, gets to be with. Um, Esmeralda. Esmeralda, which is quite sad, really, because it's just because he looks a bit, bit like Quasimodo. Punchbacked. Uh, so yeah, it's all very sad, and even Dopey sad that she can't, that he can't mm. be with Snow White at the end. And you get your heteronormative prince. What's he done? Just yeah. turns up, <laughs> leaves all the dwarves behind, and they're all. I think they've all got more character than. Uh, you know, Prince Charming coming in. Is it the dwarves' so, fault for not being more? And so there's all, but there's always that that layer underneath in all of these stories. There's that basic assumption of what is the right, what's compatible, and this sort of mm. goes through. It says this is the impossible, but shouldn't be allowed, or you should immediately go, "Oh, that's weird." But it actually <laughs> deals with it. <laughs> she kissed the hunchback yeah. guy, but it does yeah. actually deal with it in a way that's very uh, moving. Actually, worked and says, "No, there is something. There is something. It's, it's something that's very hard to." Uh, to analyse, really, because I think it is on the ground of grounds of pure emotion. It's that whole thing. Yeah. Of, um, what David Lynch has to say about cinema at its best is that it's it's beyond uh, beyond analysing. It's a sort of mood and mm. language is reductive. So bringing it out, it says, "Why are you really discussing this film? Or need me to explain what it means?" Because you can feel it. You've got a I sense of it. it. You've got an ontological sense mm. of the uh, <laughs> of the fish love. Yeah. The the. The point isn't whether it's technically feasible. You're not meant mm. to watch mm. it and go, well, how would she actually survive and how would they gather food? <laughs> yeah, how would this work in a, an actual ongoing technical sense? You're just meant to accept that that is where they've got to and that that's enough and that they will find a way or not even raise those questions at the end. Yeah. Same thing like, transcendent. You're like um, Green Wing. Yeah, which I'm getting to oh, yeah, I, I was watching yeah, yeah. that like a serious romance drama thing. I love Green Wing. I'm getting too soppy with these things, mm. but <laughs> they were, uh, you know, and he's got cancer or some term. Yeah, thing. Mm. and it's Ginger where do they where do they really go from here? It's sort of impossible. Does she go for guy or? Uh, but in the end, the, the other solution one. is just a sort of floating off. So both, yeah, mm. yeah, it's, just floating it's got a magical end. Yeah, the magical yeah. realist thing of floating off from the balloon. It's like this thing of reality can't contain their. You know, but but they what they have between each other is something more more important than reality can contain because reality's dirty and incomplete. But um but in there within these within these relations there's something actually um more worthwhile mm. and that's what magical realism actually brings out. I think spaced has that as well. Because the, the question of spaced is will they, won't they, for the whole thing. It's will mm. they actually get together? And it never answers that question really. It just leaves them as being happy on the sofa together and it, mm. you're not meant to confront the question of will this be sustainable in the long run will this work out where yeah. will it go you're just meant to be is it right to have sex is it right to have sex with a Simon Pegg <laughs> <laughs> then yes now no that's what, what if you keep him in the bath because <laughs> I guess like ambiguity kind of makes us feel uncomfortable normally mm. But it still manages to give that sense of closure because you, it could either be that they die or... <laughs> yeah, like skip forward 50 years. They die. Well, I know that. Everybody dies. Or they somehow you know, magically manage to get together. Mm. Or, um, you know, either he the gills already existed and he just needed to, to bring them out in her or he transformed her into being mm. able to to breathe underwater mm. and it kind of holds all of those endings simultaneously you don't get yeah the yeah. neat resolution you don't get the clear answer of this is what yeah. happened and this is why it happened and this is like the scientific explanation of what happened here but we can always have the uh, biblical explanation um <laughs> that is true that is so um this is and we just confirmed for me Bridget did you or did you not see the um predict the ending of the film via 
by the, the Bible. The, by the Bible. <laughs> you, you prayed a bit in the opening credits. I was looking at what the names mean. That was what the Bible was prophesying. Yeah, there was. I prophesied the end of the film uh, by looking at the. So he goes on about. So this is my theory, anyway. Okay. He goes on about welcome to Film Splurge Bible Hour. We can have a quick um, leave at this point. This is my. Um, this is the best bit. This is my 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 gift to cinema. The best bit. <laughs> You're not no meant problem. to say that you think the bit where you talk for an extended period about our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Actually, this is, is um, the best bit. This is actually from the Old Testament, so Jesus <laughs> in the belt. I'm so I underestimated your testimoniousness. <laughs> That's the word. It's all right, we'll get there. I don't know which <laughs> testament you're working from. Is this how you predicted the future? This is how I predicted what, what would happen in the film. But we'll get there. Recording this bit. Uh, I'm going to have to edit this afterwards. Yeah, you'll have to edit this bit out. Okay. Do, 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 do. I'll keep in the interlude music. Do, 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 do. Oh, that's good. That's the... <laughs> Boris, use some of that as some interlude. I might be the new interlude music if that's, <laughs> if that's good enough for the yeah. party. Of <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's the tinny sound. Yeah, the tinny <laughs> really helps. Tinny sound. Of, uh, yeah, you know the the nineteen tens covers of pop songs you find in Bioshock Infinite. Yeah, I like those. Uh, it sounds like that. They just sing into a can. There's a good wild thing, you make my heart sing. I know that's it. That's so good. Yeah, everybody wants to rule the world, it's great. Who wants to rule the world? Um, Ragtime covers a pop song. So fantastic. As we were saying before the interlude. Um, what an interlude. I, uh, <laughs> well, so, here's my impromptu musical accompaniment here's, for that. Here's my theory of what might be meant by some of the names. Um, and it is foolproof, this. You can't, can't dispute, but it's a good theory. I mean, uh, <laughs> do I have to accept so, that? Uh, so, at one point, he makes a big thing of her being called Delilah. Um, and he's sort of coming up with the biblical thing of. Uh, Delilah being the woman who sort of betrays Samson and cuts off his hair and saying he's like Samson sacrificing himself before he pulls off his fingers and says he breaks down the columns and makes like a big coliseum collapse on the Philistines. So he goes on about that. (laughs) He does go on about that in in the film. But what I got from that was, what's her name in the... um, The main character's name is Eliza. Mm. And there is in uh, in the wild thornbury. So yeah, in the uh, yeah in the thornbury in the thornbury. Yeah. <laughs> so in in Kings two, Alex Kings two, uh, you get the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elijah. Okay, which sound quite similar names. They're sort of interchanged in this, I think, because mm. let's not go into it. But they're both they're both there now. Elijah goes into um who seems to be interchangeable in this in this sort of metaphor with that uh ascends physically into heaven after killing all the enemies of um and turning them into big piles of salt and stuff like that so they have this physical ascension what, into heaven and that yeah. um, and that physical actual meeting with god mm. and she obviously goes and goes beyond to the end she actually meets with the the fish, the fish god and goes goes beyond and escapes escapes the reality and leaves leaves the earth as we know it into a more supernatural realm almost okay. into the water. And this gets more interesting with Elijah in the Bible is um, is bold, and the fishman cures old Giles of his boldness. So he puts the hand on puts yeah, the hand yeah, on the head. Okay. Cures of the boldness, so that makes me think the link stronger there because Elijah is mocked by a bunch of kids who say, taunting him to follow Elijah, say, "Go up, bald head." 
in response, he gets gods to send some lions to maul the youths. Uh, and doesn't that... Um, and doesn't Michael Shannon... Sounds like a get telegraph badly. comment section. And doesn't, doesn't, what we really need is some lions yeah. to maul these youths. And doesn't, doesn't Michael Shannon get badly mauled by the fish man? But so it's got the boldness, it's got the names, it's got the ascension. There's been a lot more. Than that goes this is the most so hermeneutics heavy. There we are. So this is the, hu- the humanotics of um, the, the, um, <laughs> the shape, the shape of, water. of water. In, so, the, in the Bible, does Delilah or Samson win in the end? Uh, Samson. I don't think really anyone wins. Samson gets <laughs> blinded and makes a, he kills all the Philistines, but the sort of Colosseum thing collapses on him and kills him as well. Right. So he okay. gets one last act of strength. Um, so no one, no one really wins out in that. I suppose um, Delilah's better off, actually. In a way. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's my little uh, little theory of what the uh, the implications. Yeah, the implications I think with the bo- I think the boldness makes it makes it link. The, it's an interesting little uh, little something there. But that's that's a bit of a that's a bit of a throwaway uh, throwaway theory for anyone who likes that. Humanotics. Thanks. That's yeah. not something I would have picked up on. Yeah, so I was just thinking. I've not read the Bible. No, um, and you have. Oh, some of it. In... I've read more than Michael Shannon's character. We should have seen this all come in. So yeah. this is very similar to. If he had done more Bible study. But he didn't get beyond the Book of Judges, which is prophetic. To be honest. Is there anything that you didn't like about the film, Jack? Um. And or Alex. Good question. Um, I liked I liked the film throughout. To be honest, I didn't think I didn't enjoy it as much as um, Pan's Labyrinth. Don't think it was quite yeah, as yeah. memorable. Didn't have the strong sort of horror elements, but it did have um, it did stay with me a lot more than I thought it would. And I think it did have a certain emotional chord. Which um, you've seen H Bomber guys um, uh, thing on. Cthulhu and all the... Oh, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. What was that? He, he mentioned oh, right, Shape yeah. of Water and about how the, the otherness, how it's um, sort mm. of in, how, it, how it's sort of interesting and linking into the Guile's character being the out, out, outcast and that's it. The yeah, love being seen as not, he, not right or something. You have to, um, he argues have to explain this, to society what's going on. This kind of low-budget adaptation of a Cthulhu mythos story is actually quite good because... It's not about the otherness of the monsters and creatures themselves, but it's about a central character who's having to work through his own homosexuality and the implications mm. of it in relation to his family and the people that he knows. And that sense of otherness is actually authentic to what Lovecraft was exploring, and that's why it's actually mm. quite good. I'm saying The Shape of Water, in a way, is like the... It's like that, yeah. Um, mm. follow, follows on with that. And I think that's why it resonates to some extent, that, that otherness thing. So I found it quite quite, quite moving, in a way. Um, so it's not it's not my favourite Gilded Torah film, because pa- Pan's Labyrinth's my favourite yeah, yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. And for everyone, everyone <laughs> probably says that, didn't they? Oh, yeah. Oh, you made a good joke about a uh, Pan's Labyrinth, about Gilded Torah's of work. <laughs> You said uh, it was to do with um, Pacific Rim. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Is that what you did with the fish? I honestly can't remember. Yeah, you you did um, you did infer you did infer something about that. Oh, okay. You said like, oh, I wonder oh, what wonder what, wonder what that film was like after this one or something yeah. like that. It was like it was quite funny. So. so. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just going back. <laughs> going back to this film. <laughs> the only thing that I thought was a bit of a sticky point for me mm-hmm. is that I didn't think Zelda, that um, her her friend in the lab, was a particularly well realised character at all. I don't think mm-hmm. she was yeah. three dimensional. I thought she was kind of a a, a bit of a stereotype, mm-hmm. a kind of stock black female friend character mm. so he's complaining about her husband it's kind of the light relief vocal, yeah. yeah she got a bit more depth when her husband was introduced as a character I think and yeah. he got an impression of what happens outside of the work but yeah she is for the most part just that person that interprets for Eliza yeah and explains what she's saying to the rest yeah, of the yeah she was one of those to move the plot along 
kind yeah. of characters, mm. wouldn't you? It does do. Yeah. I mean, she did have some. There was some sort of layering to it. Yeah. Say, but like, yeah, it's not as well realised as the other. So race wasn't as well realised, I suppose, as the other. It sort of hinted at. But that that sort of sense. Yeah. It's more of a. The more, but then again, it does have to deal with so much. This film, looking at yeah. every, if you you know, covered everything, but fish people, mute people, yeah. gay people. Yeah, it's like if you maybe covered, it's something you felt you had to include. Yeah, just because mm. yeah of the time, and it does you know it does link into that general otherness and what that society would yeah um, would cast out, and also how um, I think Gilda Toro said something about how he's making it set, he's setting it then, so it's a bit of a fairy tale about the past. Um, mm. and now you have the but they're saying you know it's very much about now still because yeah. there's still you know this prejudice these prejudices and things are still still rampant and you can imagine the uh, homophobic pie owners even today <laughs> not not at Greg's obviously because uh, they're all about Greg's. the vegan yeah. sausage rolls yeah I did think it had quite a, a nostalgic feel to it in mm. the, the colours that it used and the music as well yeah the it's music very romantic yeah, but then I thought it was interesting how even in the film they were nostalgic themselves because they were looking mm. back at films from the 30s and 40s. That seemed to mm. be what they, or um, what yeah. her, her flatmate Giles seemed to be interested in, in watching. So, and it must have been quite a grim time to be alive, really, <laughs> in the early 60s, the height of yeah. the um, So it's like... I don't know, like, we don't really have anything to be nostalgic for because that recent past is a kind of postmodernist interpretation. It's a bit of a of shit show, past. yeah. Like, the 80s <laughs> is yeah. currently the thing, but that's just such an obviously cauterized, yeah. homogenized image of the 80s. We always get we that, but buy into But the that. 60s in particular, 60s, 50s, that is, you know, it's the great era of economic progress. It's what, I suppose, no, everything's about fucking Trump these days. Like that Peter Rosenthal. Bring it in. I'll just recommend that Peter Rosenthal video where he reviews Winnie <laughs> the Pooh. What? No, it's actually it. about Trump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that what you want. But that, that era, especially in America, a lot of people are nostalgic for that post post war sort of boom period yeah. and that that post war social democratic the, you know, the real American mm. dream, which as as this film points out, is the American dream for sort of middle class white people. Yeah, something which the Fallout series does not deal with, much to my chagrin. Yeah, so it so it does cover that and show shows being excluded. And I think it's it's yeah, it's showing through these rose tinted glasses the past, but also showing the past wasn't that fair and it's never been that good. Rose tinted for yeah, whom? And then there's certain universal, the, the universal thing. The outsiders need to be accepted, and if you think about it, we're still not at that stage where everyone's accepted. So we've got to uh, mm. sort of look look towards the world that doesn't yeah. actually encompass that. We haven't got a kind of kind of world at the moment we've got a world that's rubbish in different ways uh, and some of the same ways so uh, I, I think if we could have um, more fish sticks a bit more if we could have economic security art, and and fish sticks uh, then, uh, then that would be a better world because it I think that's the message of the film it doesn't <laughs> go into the, the the more liberal position it could have taken was that all that's required is for these people and groups to have recognition by whatever the hegemonic power structures is. You know, there'd be a moment at the end where Michael Shannon goes, oh, the fish person was a person all along and then mm. accepts him within mm. his society. But instead it says at the end, what you need is an outside. You need to go outside of these structures and systems. You need something else. The system can't and shouldn't be reformed that's not the way forward getting Michael Shannon to recognise mm. you as actually on well, the it's, inside because um, that always yeah. creates another outside it just moves to whoever's not been included but in those um, those who are outside don't deal with the you know fish man I think it's the best name we've really come up for him um, as they don't see him as the other they just see him as an extension they see him as part of them, nature yeah. and part yeah. of they're, one they're of them and something you know, they're open they can learn Got you know can learn from can learn from the fish man and fish man can potentially learn from us can learn sign language and, and then not to eat cats them, off of us uh, and then cats. again with the cold war thing mm. there's that sense of otherness is but that but they do see they're human beings at the end of the day underneath mm. and so even your Soviet spy um, you know sees but um, 
sees that the, yeah joins yeah. joins that common cause, and because they're all outsiders and outside of this big power game, they do actually have the lucidity to see the truth, even if that means he gets like shot in the face and things. And <laughs> it's all really horrible, but yeah, it's um, that's what happens if you do good in this world. <laughs> shot in the face, <laughs> <laughs> like Robespierre. Yeah. He only yeah. wanted what was right. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's definitely seems to be a thing throughout it of how whatever the dominant power structure is needs to have that other, the outside, that it's building itself against, that it, in constructing itself as the dominant power, is always afraid and worried about what's outside it and is trying to control and temper it and, and even murder it outright in the case of Michael Shannon towards the fish man so it yeah it sort of runs through the theme of how even though their particular issues and how they relate to these dominant power structures are different everybody's unified in the sense of being castigated as an outsider by whatever that dominant power structure is be it Soviet or US be it whatever is the dominant structure. And it, I think the something I'd definitely commend it for is not going with a cheap, uh, the Soviets are the bad guys, or going with an easy, the Soviets are the good guys, but going, yeah. the prop, the bad guys are whoever the, the ruling force is on either side of the Cold War. Yeah. It's not picking a side, it's saying there aren't any winning sides. The, this whole structure is itself the problem but of good um, <laughs> yeah, um so anyone got any final things to say anyone got any thoughts on music we haven't mentioned but i can't really uh the song and dance number was absolutely fantastic it was wonderful and uh maybe my favorite bit of the movie oh yeah it does do like it the go, whole it, singing it, in the rain yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it yeah. just goes off on a, a flight of fantasy yeah which just, again is that magical realist does um, a whole song and dance number which is absolutely wonderful but in terms of like the general music in the film it sort of I didn't really know it just worked didn't it it fit yeah it fit the scene and nothing sort of stand out like sometimes you know when you get a film I, like, I remember that yeah or something. it wasn't like anything like that there was the kind of salsa music which was coming <laughs> with the plan to it yeah something a bit like that <laughs> and there was a lot of um, sort of attempts at dancing and stuff little taps foot foot timing taps um, I can't remember the soundtrack massively I remember it being quite good it's sort of yeah, it was not, very it's not a film with anyone swells and all that jazz it's not a film with anyone you know show off the uh, show off cinematic moves it's got interesting design here and there Sort yeah. of Bioshock influence again, but you know it's not it's nothing that's like particularly groundbreaking or but it'll fit together very nicely. And it came up with this. What we'll mm. be discussing about the ideas and the feelings the film uh, brought through, which resonated with me quite strongly. So it worked. It worked on that sort of as level. Whatever it was trying to do, it didn't. It did what good storytelling does and didn't distract from the story. It just told it and got to got to the core of it without any flashy rubbish. Um, Film stuff, stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well said. So, what are we? Are we going to do the ratings? Yeah, we're going to do ratings. We always do ratings. Uh, I'm going to go. Can we? We don't do intervals, do we? It's got to be a whole integer. Yeah, I think so. Or, yeah. Otherwise, it just you can say like strong or weak. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a strong. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strong eight. I'm not a nine. I'm an eight. I would say a mid eight. Oh really? Like less than Alex after all that. Well, depends. I I did like it a lot more than Alex. Yeah. But the number system can't convey <laughs> can't convey what you want. But um Yeah, it's just because my very favourite films ever would be around ten or nine or something. So. Yeah, nine's reserved for so, like, I liked it a lot. I didn't Lock it. Lock it a lot. But it did resonate with me. It's what so yeah. It yeah. worked. It That's worked to what it set out to do. Yeah. I definitely liked it more than I thought I was gonna like it. Mm. It's more moving than I thought it was gonna be. 
I can't say eight as well. I mean, you, eight you, is a number of stability. Eight, eight is a number. It's a number of stability. <laughs> it's a Chinese number of say. stability, so it makes sense. Everyone just picks that. It's a good, solid number. Yeah. You can build okay. a house on that number. It's between average and great. Yeah. yeah. And ten, you can't oh, give like anything seven, ten, because then five. you can never go higher. Mm. So, three eights? Yeah, it's an eight. It's an eight. And then the uh, do a strictly yeah. dancing thing, and we're like, "No, I loved I it." Ten, ten, ten. 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 <laughs> Good old Bruno. Good old Bruno. Should get him on the show. Review um, the tap dancing film. Strictly ballroom. Strictly the Australian ballroom. film about ballroom dancing. Oh, it's great. Yes, it's really which is where the name comes from. I'm guessing. Strictly ballroom.